Hello and welcome once again to episode 64 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So before we get into our main topic, we are officially recording in 2022. Spencer, how was your new year? Yeah, it was good. Um, took a break from work, so that was nice. And it's been uh, a week back from work now. And it's been it was it was a good week. It was nice to kind of have a break and uh, unwind and, you know, jump back into things. We've got kind of a new uh, plan as far as managing, you know, tickets and everything at work it goes. So like, everything feels a bit more cohesive and uh, life is good. So how about yourself? I a good start to the new year then yes definitely yeah for me for me it's been good i did not take uh a break uh so to say but i did like spend all of the end of the year and the beginning of this year like hunkering down on algorithms and specifically like algorithms that i need to like solve a specific thing on the app that i'm working on so my brain has been hurting <laughs> To say the least. So basically, the opposite of what what happened with me. Yeah, the opposite. I, I will I will Shoot. refresh sometime mid year. <laughs> that will be my refresh cycle because at the moment my brain is just like spiraling. Every every waking moment, like sleep, is like thinking of like, oh, how can I solve this in a slightly better way and improve it? So uh, thankfully, the problem has been solved before. Meaning, like I wrote an algorithm that does technically work. Um, it just crashes sometimes, and that's no good. So I'm rewriting it completely from scratch with a very different set of assumptions in place, sprinkling in some async await and actors, because why not? Um, and good. then spending three weeks like spinning my wheels trying to figure it all out. So uh, always fun when that happens. Nice. It's the, it's the trappings of development, right? You want to solve something better and get the nice, shiny... Uh, solution uh and be proud of it right um yeah and yeah sometimes it just kicks your butt <laughs> there's no way around it <laughs> yeah definitely I'm, I'm sure whatever it is you're working on is is plenty hard in and of itself and then trying to you know make it as as perfect as it can be is then even more of a challenge after that so mm -hmm. i think the worst part about it is it's deceptively simple like oh i have a list of changes that have been made somewhere and i want to animate those in a collection view um, mm. and sequencing those changes in a way that the collection view is happy is not the order that they were made in, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, completely asynchronously. Um, and my previous solution kind of relied on the run loop and that worked fine because it could do all the processing, sorting, like, uh, filtering that it needed to do, um, on spare run loop cycles. Um, but that worked if you had one like collection view that you were showing, if you had, multiple on screen at the same time they're all kind of competing for that main run loop time uh, and that's kind of where it fall, fell apart so i'm trying to bring it to the modern swift async await kind of architecture with actors where every component is an actor that kind of can do its work asynchronously and then let the ui the main the main actor the ui thread uh basically pull it whenever it's good to go um and it says hey i'm i'm good to make some changes uh let me know what changed in between um so now i have to sequence things in this very different way and that's where it's like really scrambling my brain for good i, I really right. feel that i'm not 20 anymore <laughs> if that makes sense 
<laughs> yeah, totally. So is it using um, like difficult data sources to uh, for the collection? Oh, no, not at all. Themselves? No? Oh, okay. No. So um, we are dealing with a data set that is well in the 100,000 entries. Oh. Uh, so I don't want to just take two snapshots of that and say, hey, find the difference for me. That sounds like a horrible idea. So if yeah, I know, okay, there have been 10 changes since we've last kind of looked at it since the last animation, um, like I should be able to sequence those and tell the collection view, hey, insert these three things, move these four things and delete these three things. Um, and that should be fairly instant um, from an algorithmic point of view. It's just like, oh, if you needed to... So a little background, the collection view wants your deletes to happen before the inserts. Um, and it's just that's that's how they've kind of uh, settled on it. And same for difficult data sources and um, all of that. So deletes happen before inserts. But if you insert something and then you delete something, now you need to either modify the deletion index or modify the insertion index because you want the delete to happen before it. Um, so that's where most of the headaches come. Um, there's some considerations to take into account for insertions as well um and then all of this kind of gets extra crazy if you don't want to if you don't want a model where you just have sections and items but you want a complete hierarchy where you can have items and items and items uh and collection view kind of just falls apart unless you wanted to magically say hey system take care of it for me with default data sources but Mm -hmm. uh that just sounded like a bad idea from uh the assumptions that we have uh, for the product so uh, that's why I'm kind of hunkering down on the low level kind of preparing the data ahead of time probably not going to use a collection view in the end because hierarchies um, so yeah that's going to be interesting but that's a completely different <laughs> set of problems well it sounds like you have your work cut out for you <laughs> to say the least definitely do that's not an understatement So for our main topic today, we wanted to discuss what the different things you could do as an app developer to market the app that you build, because uh, oftentimes people see that as a finish line, like, hey, you're finishing your product, that's kind of good to go. Uh, But that is just the beginning, right? If you want people to use your app, you have to put in a whole lot more effort um, to to kind of have it be a thing. It's, It's not like the early days of the App Store where you were one of the first 5,000 apps and people could kind of like browse and find it uh, and be happy. Uh, there's a lot of considerations that you need to make for it to uh, be fully like present uh, in that sense. So um, what is the easiest thing you could do, Spencer, to have your app um, be marketed effectively? Yeah, I'd say probably the easiest thing that I can think of is like, just posting it out to you know Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever social media you have, um, it's a free and easy way to engage with people that probably you know if you've kind of been cultivating uh, followers slash a follow and following other people, um, you're probably going to reach a f- decent target audience just by way of them mo- like a fair amount most likely being kind of in the same space as you. Um, I mean, not all of my followers are are in the same space and that's fine. Um, but you've got, you know, I suppose somewhat of a targeted audience for free in that sense where you're literally, it, it literally is free. You just tweet about it or post about it and, and it's done. Um, mm-hmm. I think it really depends, you know, you, there are so many different ways that you can market your app in general. 
and I think it depends on what is the goal of your app, right? Like um, coming from our background as instructors at Lambda School, um, we would have students try to put apps on the App Store just to say that they've put an app on the App Store and be able to show uh, potential employers. And maybe that's all they need to do. And, you know, mm -hmm. a tweet suffices. Or if you're trying to make a business out of it, then, you know, you need to think about, okay, well, you know, tweeting about it's great, but how can you go the next level and start to reach a broader audience and get people downloading and using your app? Because ultimately, whether it's uh, free, whether it's, you know, got ads or whether you're paying for it up front, it's got in-app purchases, whatever, you need to get users for the app. And so this whole concept of marketing is great. So I think tweeting is probably the easiest thing, but it can only take you so far unless you are, you know, Steve Trotton Smith and you've got hundreds of thousands of followers. And even then there's yeah. a limit, but it's a higher ceiling for sure. Yeah. I was going to say, um, most people probably start off with like tens, maybe, maybe a hundred or so followers. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, okay, I just made my app. Let me sign up for a Twitter account. It's a little too late, but you still, sh you should still do it. You should do um, it. Yeah. But it's not going to, it's not going to have like an immediate return, um, mm -hmm. for, for like the audience that you're trying to get. Right. Um, one, one easy thing that you can do, um, is, uh, also to post to product hunt. Uh, that is one of the few places where you have no one following you, but you can still kind of put it on there um, mm -hmm. and people will see it because every day there's a new uh, list of products basically that people can go ahead and check out. Um, so you have a decent chance with that um, and you also have a decent chance with various subreddits. Um, so if you want to go the Reddit route, make an account first, join the communities that you plan on posting to, learn their rules um, and like be prepared to get immediately shut down because people are like cranky on there and they don't want yeah. you posting like more than once every five years or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really a pain, uh, to say the least, but, um, it is a great avenue to get a tons of, uh, people seeing the creation that you just made. Um, so as far as like a first launch, you should definitely like do a little bit of planning so that way you can get as big a wave, as possible because if you've any ever done any research as far as like how do apps do post launch um they don't do great uh there's yeah. that initial like giant wave of in, like first day installs uh and then there's a 10 percent of that wave of like your version 1.1 um and everything in between is like at the rock bottom of like install so if at the rock bottom is a sustainable number for you then you've you've kind of made it uh but for many it's like one download every week um and that's mm -hmm. not that's not like a great place to be especially once you put six months into building something uh, that you're really proud of right yeah for sure um another one that that is cool and i've not personally done this but i know um I don't know if you've done it and maybe you could talk about this a little bit more, but I think mm -hmm. a really interesting one is going to uh, publications like um, nine to five Mac or um, I, I don't know other ones, which, what does Guy write for? Is it nine to five Mac? Nine, nine to five Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's the one I can think of that will highlight apps from time to time. And, and that's to me, a really interesting one where you just kind of reach out to the publications, and I, again, you probably know more about this than me, whether it's 
through Twitter, whether it's through the, you know, the writers themselves on Twitter or you email uh, 9to5Mac directly. But going that route, you know, if you've got an interesting enough app that they'll be willing to uh, cover it, maybe you, you've made a press kit already with um, assets so they can just kind of readily throw it on there or whatever, is a really interesting way to um, to kind of get traction. And kind of on that topic, I remember that um, I'm kind of not remembering this 100% right, but there was a recent article posted about uh, the company I work for and kind of how they got started and how uh, LumaFusion got traction. And I, if I remember right, they kind of credited uh, a lot of traction to being posted in a publication like that. So uh, there's definitely, um, that's a good way to reach, uh, again, a, a good targeted audience where, um, I don't know if you really have to pay for that if they make you say, you know, or if they say, you know, hey, pay us $500 and we'll, we'll feature this. Or if it's just kind of, we think this is interesting. We'll, you know, we'll we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I do have some some insight on that. Uh, it tends to be a mutual benefit to both the publication and yourself for them to publish the story because they are always looking for stories to publish. Um, now that's the key point. They're looking for stories to publish, not products to publish. Sure. They want to hear about why you made a piece of software, what problems you're solving, and what ways that their readers could benefit from your software, right? Um, they don't want to just give out free advertising for for an app. And most cases, they're going to ignore you if you kind of just say like, hey, I made a thing that counts your steps and uh-huh. like it's been done before. They're not, they're not super <laughs> interested in that. Why is it interesting? Like what is interesting about your app in how it counts steps that they would be interested in sharing? So um, for publications, do your research for uh, seeing which writers in each publication are the ones that tend to write about apps because they're going to be the, your best bet basically. Uh, most publications have emails for all their writers that are easily findable. Um, or, like, if you look up the Twitter accounts for those uh, writers, they will have an email uh, directly there. Oftentimes, they will be happy to feature, like, new apps um, from indies because that's kind of how what keeps the platform healthy is new people coming in. Um, other times, they uh, don't care at all. So you need to do a lot of research to find who to contact Contact them well in advance. Give them at least like two weeks to to write the article. Like, don't just say like, "Hey, I'm launching this yesterday." Um, like that might work, but it's not going to uh, have the most benefit for you. Um, now, that might be a benefit if you're planning like an update and you want to market that. Like, say, "Hey, I'm planning this big update. Uh, here are the changes." But mm-hmm. um, as you said, Spencer, you want to prepare a um, a press kit that has a whole bunch of assets that they can use in the article. You want to have a story that that is something that they can emphasize with, uh, empathize with, and build upon to kind of write about. Um, and you want to um, you want to have like a link or a code that they can go ahead and download and play with the app and see what the whole hubbub is about. Um, so if you do that effectively, you can get one, two, three, um, written publications like all at once, uh, when your app launches and that can kind of help make that wave bigger, um, and last longer because a publication stays up for a week or so. So it might last longer, 
Uh, in addition to that, like if you search Google for your app, that publication will show up and people can read about it. Um, and that's going to help you down the line as well. So um, that's a definitely uh, a very important piece of the puzzle. But you need to have all your ducks in the row for it to work well and for you not to be ignored because there's no... They don't need your app to like have a story to write about. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, you don't want to have something that's going to come out at the same time that Apple is having a keynote because that's more important, more interesting news. Um, that said, they might still be interested because it's different news. Like, okay, we have a single thing that's not Apple's uh, keynote, so they might be interested in it. So um, the best thing to do is ask. But um, every time I've asked, the most important thing is always have a story to tell um, because that is the most interesting um, and sometimes that story might not be about your app. Maybe it might be like, hey, uh, you are doing something with your parents and uh, that was like a, a mother-son project that you wanted to kind of build up. That's an interesting like little snippet about the the evolution of your app. Maybe you had a dev diary along the way and it kind of showed how it uh, was put together. Or as I saw in the in the news cycle this week, maybe you are the first person to write an app using the Swift Playgrounds on iPad. Yes, your app's not amazing, but that's not the important thing. It's the fact that you went through the trials and tribulations of launching an <laughs> app through a super uh, limited um, uh, and constrained environment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that That's such a cool thing that it's the Playgrounds are at that point. It's <laughs> That's super exciting. Um, kind of going back to what you were saying with, you know, being able to Google your app and having it show up is like, and, and this is one thing that I did with the first app that I put out that it's not even on the app store anymore, but like I was super new. I had just, you know, graduated from a boot camp. I didn't really know the space very well. And so I set up like a Squarespace website cause I didn't, I, I wasn't a web developer and I kind of went through that whole thing and. I, you know, paid $200 or something for a year of a uh, Squarespace website, which in hindsight is <laughs> to me, not worth it, but um, it was kind of cool to see like analytics and stuff. And so something also that I guess on my side, I I've probably talked about this before, but I'm so disinterested in like the business side of app development. Like I just want to write code. I don't really want to make a whole business out of it. And that's just me. So, you know, thinking about like, how can I market myself? That was, that was always something that I didn't really pay much attention to. And I was never really trying to make money off of it, but like, um, what can you do as far as like optimizing the, you know, doing like SEO in order to actually show up on Google? Yeah. So first step is you need to have a website and that means a domain plus a toasted site somewhere. Uh, this can mm-hmm. be free. Uh, if you do some research, you can get it up and running on GitHub for free, um, completely right. privately. Like no one needs to know. Um, you just need to pay the ten bucks a year for a domain, and that's that's yours. Um, you can even get a .dot app domain, which is a great way of communicating that your product is an app. Um, and those tend to be a little more free. .dot com is kind of taken, but .dot app is a little more available. So. Uh, that's, that's definitely a mandatory thing that every app should have is a website that just talks about it. Um, at the very least, it should have some screenshots. It should be a mirror of what the app score, app store description, um, has basically. 
Uh, so that way, if people are searching on Google, which is a completely reasonable thing to do, hey, I want to solve this problem, your app has a chance of being in those results. Um, right. Now, the only way for Google to recommend your website versus not recommending it is for other websites to link to it. So if you have ever kind of studied how Google works, uh, it basically... Uh, gives every website a reputation, and if that web, if a website with a good reputation links to something, that destination also has a good reputation. And if a website has a bad reputation and it links to something, it decreases the reputation. Um, this is to combat uh, people posting comments on websites with complete spam, basically. Like you don't want that influencing search results. Um, so they they go ahead and have a very complicated algorithm that does all this, but. Uh, that turns into a presence that people can search for, right? Um, so uh, that is, of course, not the only thing that you should do on your website. If you have more content to share, maybe you have a blog on there where you talk about different things that your app helps solve in different ways. Uh, talk about what your customers do with your app. The more you have on there, the more it will show up in Google for similar search terms um, and the like. Um Maybe you have a YouTube video that kind of describes the app and it links to your website. Well, that will help uh, like link everything up. And then if someone's on YouTube and they search for something and your app kind of shows up and you have a video that describes either how you made it or what kind of this is how you can use it to solve a given problem, then that that really props everything else up, right? That's, that's great to know. Um, yeah, I didn't even think about um, using something like you know, YouTube or, or something similar. I, and it got me thinking of like, um, Paul Solt, who has a YouTube channel and he's got uh, a bunch of different things on there. He's got, um, tutorials on just, you know, different projects and everything, or, you know, different, um, code, code related, um, things. I, I'm kind of drawing a blank. It's been a while since I looked at his channel, but mm-hmm. he's got uh, like a, a decent following on there of at least over a thousand people. Uh, and he also has videos on his his brew coffee app that he's been working on. So I'm sure that would be a great way to get some kind of organic traffic over to uh, his website. And then, you know, obviously to the app store and just kind of seeing his app. Um, so that's super cool. Uh, it seems, yeah, I don't know. For me, it seems like, you know, SEO and all that is just this arcane black box that I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense. Um, I didn't actually know the, the way that kind of Google ranks things. Um, so that's, that's super interesting. Yeah. And that's, some people are like wondering if that's the reason why search results are getting worse over time is because no one is sharing like results on individual websites anymore. They are Uh now sharing everything on social media platforms, which are all locked down. So Google has no idea about all the links that are on Facebook uh, linking to this or that. So uh, unless unless someone has a blog where they link to this or that, then that kind of uh, falls apart a little bit. So uh, it's it's a really important thing, and it's generally a really easy thing uh, to learn a tad about HTML and CSS to make a decent-looking uh, and mm-hmm. performing website hosted on something free, um, and you can you can get quite a bit of mileage out of it. You don't necessarily need to track like everyone who's coming like you can take action off of that but the mere presence of it is often enough uh to kind of get things going 
Um, so that's that's something that's really important. Similarly with Twitter, like um, having a Twitter account where you're slowly building an audience, just like you mentioned with the YouTube account, having anything where you're slowly building an audience is going to prepare you for the next thing that you make, right? Um, you'll mm-hmm. have an ever so slightly big better chance at uh, getting some momentum. Now that said, it's not going to make it a rake it. You can... You can't say like, oh, if only I had uh, 50,000 followers, then my product would be a success. And if you've ever listened to uh, Mark Arman on ATP, he will tell you that, hey, like those 50,000 followers, they're great for that first day. But then just like your 200 followers, they ignore you the next day. (laughs) Like there's no, there's not too much benefit uh, from it. But the reason anything Marco makes like gains traction is because everyone knows Marco at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are going to write about it. They're going to, you're going to have the halo effects um, on everything else that are going to benefit that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely just having that, uh, I guess, reputation, right. Of, of mm-hmm. just knowing who they are, knowing they make good stuff. Like for example, I don't know why I love John Sundell. Like I think everything he does is awesome. He's, he's made quite a few different uh, open source libraries that I've used. And like any time that he makes something new, like plot and ink, I thought were super interesting and also relevant to, you know, work with vapor and stuff. So that was, that was always a plus, but um, you know, he's, he's got a podcast, he's got a website with a blog, he's got uh, a good Twitter following. And so kind of having that all wrapped into one, um is is pretty cool um and along with that you've got um like mailing lists right like you've got um paul hudson i i think john sundell has one too you've got the um like fernando i i didn't even know that this was a thing but i went on the i think i was just on the twitter app or just the website um but if you go on fernando's um twitter page it's got like slash from junior to senior there we go yeah um it's got like a subscribe to his newsletter big thing that i i haven't ever seen before and that's just integrated into his twitter account now and so if you're like man i really love hearing about this person like having a newsletter is cool because you know it's like going to be very important information it's not going to be whatever you know tweets or or memes that we were all posting and fernando's like on a meme rampage right now on twitter but you know like oh okay so if i subscribe to this mailing list i will get some really good information and it will be relevant and that's where you could say oh yeah look fernando has a course or fernando in this case has um an app that he's working on and you know he could you could go into detail on how the app is going or any challenges or breakthroughs that you've had or whatever to make it interesting. Um, But that would be cool if you've got um, people that are super interested in what you're doing. I don't know if you'd want to make a mailing list just for your app development or just include it in a part of that. I'm no, I don't have a mailing list. I've never had one. So I don't really know exactly how you do it, but that's also an interesting way of kind of, gaining a very dedicated i think that you know if you sign up for a mailing list you've probably got to be a fairly dedicated follower of a person to let something else bombard your email inbox at least that's how i view it Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and you can use mailing lists in all sorts of ways on your website. You can have us subscribe to mailing lists. Mm -hmm. Um, and any customers that you get, instead of being Apple's customers at that point, they be truly become your customers. They're interested in what you have to tell them about anything new, uh, that's coming out. And, um, like the biggest benefit is almost everyone has an email at this point. If they're involved in any sort of technology, uh, they will have an email that you can go ahead and message. Um, now that's something that you can put in the app as well. Like, hey, in your about screen, you can say, hey, if you want to hear about new stuff that I make or new stuff that comes to the app, like add your email. And if someone adds their email to that, they are likely going to be a lifetime customer as long as you, um, as long as you respect their their yeah. uh, interests in what you're doing. Now, one thing I hate with mailing lists are mailing lists that will uh, go ahead and just to kind of stay relevant and assume that everyone kind of forgot about what you made already, uh, they will kind of send a weekly email that doesn't say anything. Uh, it's just like, hey, we are still here. Um, now, yeah, I surely see the benefit to that. And surely there are people that are uh, absent-minded enough where they will forget you if they haven't seen you in a week. I don't think those are the people that are signing up for mailing lists. Honestly speaking, like I think if someone puts their email in it, uh, in your uh, apps, in your mailing list, like entry thing, then they're going to be more than happy to hear about what you have that's new, but they don't want to be bombarded by the same information over and over because it creates a like blindness to anything that's new. So for instance, my email is an absolute catastrophe, not for mailing lists, just of spam in general. Yeah. Um, of like mailing lists I did not subscribe for, which is generally how like mailing lists get abused. You buy a list of emails and you add them all to your thing and then you do the weekly right. thing and hopefully something happens. Um, now, if I subscribe for a mailing list and I see something weekly from them, I am going to very quickly never read any of those emails, nor am I going to do anything. I'm not going to purposely try to unsubscribe. That's a failed attempt uh, in my inbox. I'm just going to ignore it. Uh, forever. Um, whereas <laughs> if I see for the first time in a blue moon something new from Panic, for instance, I will mm -hmm. immediately click that. Because Absolutely. I do read the titles and the senders of every email that comes in. Um, I'm just going to ignore the vast majority of it because it's junk. But if it's something that like, oh, hey, I wonder what they're doing that's different, you know, um, then I will definitely tap on that email and find out, hey, they're making a play date. How cool is that? Like, those those sort of interactions are where mailing lists really thrive rather than the ones where you're just trying to really milk uh, the system and get engagement. I think you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. That uh -huh. may be my personal opinion, uh, but I think your customers are smarter than uh, what uh, a lot of marketing people may say. Um, and yeah, it's it's a fine line, definitely. Um, you can milk every system and profit generously off of that. Definitely. That's how most companies work. But that tends to work for a big company because a big company can get away with a certain amount of people hating them. Um, whereas a small like indie developer, you generally don't want anyone hating you because you're an individual. And if someone says they hate you, then you're going to be very hurt by that. Because you are an individual. There's no one else you can say, oh, it's probably their fault. Right. Um, like, that is a direct attack on you. And uh, that can make you never want to make anything anymore. <laughs> like, that's just the reality of it. Um, so, generally, I try to steer away from uh, those kind of heavy-handed attempts. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems very, and I, I'm sort of of the same mind as you. I think it's, um, you know, a quality over quantity thing where mm-hmm. you need to make something that's worth people's time. Like, like you said, you'll, you'll, you already take the time to look at the, the, um, the sender and subject, but you're not going to open every of your close to hundred thousand emails. No, you're just going to take the time. 68,261. Re- okay. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> um, but if you can, you know, make something good and um, worth people's time, I think that's good. Um, you know, another thing is kind of in the same vein, and we've kind of talked about this, is like on a website I've seen, um, I don't know what you would call this, I suppose, but it's, you know, it's sort of a conglomerate of a, I maybe you could call it, I don't know if it's a portfolio website, but you've got not just the the pages of your apps, but like you said, you've got a blog. And if you, you know, uh, like Dimitri, for example, is working on this whole thing with collection views. If he decides, you know what, uh, <laughs> I don't want anyone to go through what I did. I've solved, I've, you know, I've cracked the code um, and he can write about it. That brings traffic to his website in general. But then people might say, well, this, this is a super interesting article. Let me also check out the rest of his website. And it's, oh, Dimitri's got this app. Uh, let's, you know, go take a look at that. And I think mm-hmm. ultimately kind of what we're trying to say here is, um, and Dimitri's kind of put this in our notes, is building a business rather than a product, right? Where the product would be just the app, but you're kind of cultivating this business of yourself. I don't know, mm-hmm. like if you're an indie developer, you're if you're just all alone, it's just you, you don't have a company behind it, but you can build all of these different tools around um, the product or the app to sort of uh, support and um, get traction for the app. But it's kind of, it's, it's all set like uh, it's all self-serving is not the right word. It all kind of feeds into itself where mm-hmm. the app it's brings people to feedback. the blog. Yeah, it's a, exactly. It's a feedback loop. The app brings people to the blog, the blog brings people to the app, the mailing list, whatever you've got, it's all kind of feeding into itself. And then you probably end up in a much better place, much quicker than if you just have one of those things, right? Like if you're just Mm -hmm. tweeting about your app, uh, like Dimitri said, you'll maybe get that wave. You'll maybe get a second wave when you get uh, an app update, but that's it. But if you've got all of this stuff going around, then that can be easier. And I think it can be sort of what you put into it. Like, for example, I don't really do much on Twitter. I have a couple hundred followers and I've been on Twitter for like 12 years, but I'm not really trying. Uh, You've got other people that have been on for as long as I have, and they've got, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers. And that's great. So I think it really just depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, And also just like for me, being genuine and like being yourself on these different platforms. Like don't, don't try so hard that you become a try hard and everyone can see that you're just in it for like, here is my product. Please take my product. Like you're again, building a presence rather than just kind of hawking your product to people. So whether that comes in the form of uh, making YouTube videos or um, you know, uh, like the thing that comes to mind is, Steve Trotton Smith, where he has a couple apps on the app store, but like all the time he's talking about whatever catalyst and all of these different things. And it's like, 
it's genuinely a good time to follow him because it's not him just talking about all of his apps, but he'll go into things like um, all of these, you know, he's got his pastel app that he's been throwing over to catalyst or doing some catalyst stuff. And it's been genuinely interesting to look at like all of these, this progression uh, and all of these things that he's had to go through in order to get his app out. And then I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, I would love to see that in the app. And so it makes me want to kind of check out the app itself. So again, positive feedback loops, like Dimitri said. Yeah, like I have no use for broadcast radio, but his broadcast app can play internet feeds. One internet feed I listen to semi-regularly is ATP's live stream. So like I, I use that app for nothing but that. And it's a very nice, simple app for that. Um, so like case in point, I don't follow Steve Tron Smith for like the apps that he's making necessarily. I follow Mm -hmm. him because one, uh, he's an acquaintance from like a very long time ago. And two, like I very much enjoy the things that he makes. Um, so I guess that kind of leads into another aspect about like all these social media things is get to know people, like Mm -hmm. make meaningful relationships at, meetups at uh conferences and this is a little hard nowadays but um <laughs> do try to engage on forums um and open source um uh, and open source code um like anywhere where you can contribute and network and create a meaningful connection with people that is going to help you like somewhat um uh, somewhat sadly it's going to help you make more money through your own products uh but not for that reason if that makes any sense they are legitimately going to want to help you when you make a new app because you are legitimately helping them when they make a new app like it's a it's a positive feedback loop that benefits everyone um if you if you look at it from the best light possible so as as spencer said you really don't want to milk those opportunities you don't want to ruin that relationship for no good mean like reason um because it's not about your product in the end it's about helping each other out more than anything else so um for that reason like i do want to encourage everyone like participate in the community um as much as you can whether that's in forums whether that's in community slacks have a presence for yourself because if you post and help people often guess what? People are going to remember who you are. You may have no clue who they are, but they will have seen your little head pop up uh, (laughs) both here and there, and then I'll see you on Twitter, and they'll be like, oh, that person, let me follow them. I don't even know what they tweet about. Uh, And then afterwards, you can realize that they tweet about very horrendous things and unfollow them, but that's a completely separate thing. (laughs) Um, I'm just kidding. Most most people that I've found uh, in these uh, avenues have been completely pleasant to um to continue following so um jokes aside like it really is (laughs) beneficial to uh to network and to build up meaningful relationships with other developers um and that's how you build up your own like fan base in a way uh whether they are fans of the products you're making or they're fans of you as a person uh they are going to be more willing to kind of help you out when you need that help right that's all it comes down to is when you launch an app now you need help to to get that out there um and the people that are going to help are the people that care either care really much about what you made or care about a past thing that you made or just want to help you you know 
Yeah, absolutely. I think a huge thing with that, at least for me, like I remember hearing the advice, that exact same advice when I was um, in my boot camp of like start networking with people. And that scared me so much as an introvert. I was just like, no, I'm good. I, I can do this on my own. And really, when we say network, it's not like follow everyone that you know on LinkedIn, follow people you don't know on LinkedIn. No, that's, Get that's all... the obnoxious try, try hard uh, exactly. method. Exactly. Which right. works, again, you can make anything work by taking it up to level 20 uh, yeah. on a ten on a scale of 10. So it will work, but you're going to end up with a lopsided, um, like, what's that called on YouTube where you have the thumbs up and the thumbs down and there's like... Uh, the ratio? The ratio, yeah. You're going to have a very yeah. lopsided ratio if you yeah. take things in one direction versus take things another i'm not saying one is faster than the other like you can network politely very quickly um by just like putting yourself out there um but you can also network very impolitely very quickly and it's a fine balance to know what is the best way to go about doing that right yeah like imagine you're seeing these people in real life like like the internet should not preclude those those methods of holding yourself back if that makes any sense yeah, you're not going to hand out a business card to literally every single person you see on the street. That's that's yeah. kind of the mass LinkedIn thing. Um, but like Dimitri said, right, uh, get on some Slacks. There are a bunch of iOS-related Slack groups uh, just in general. Or um, I know a lot of places have um, like location-based uh, Slack groups. Like there's a Utah um, iOS and Mac developer Slack I'm a part of. Um, and if you need an invite, you know, sometimes you need an invite they're pretty easy to get, but just start following people on Twitter. There's probably, you know, you could probably just find, um, I don't know. Um, I guess, uh, I don't know how to put this like common or like well-known developers like Paul Hudson, uh, John Sundell, Steve Trotton Smith, that kind of thing. And start from there. But, uh, like Dimitri said, just like maybe asking, even asking a question in a help Slack or a help uh, channel or something gets you out there and then you can start to have a conversation. And it doesn't have to, again, speaking as an introvert here, it doesn't have to be this scary thing where you're like laying yourself bare to everyone and saying, you know, come at me, like destroy my code. Uh, You know, I don't know. Just get to know people in like a, an organic way. And I think that will, like Dimitri said, have a much greater effect. Maybe you meet less people than if you were mass uh, trying to invite people on LinkedIn. But most of the people I, I that invite me on LinkedIn, I don't know who they are. They're like not even in the same industry as me. It's, you know, it doesn't really make sense. But on Twitter, a lot of people that I follow, most of the people that I follow are uh, developers in some capacity, generally iOS or Mac. And it's a good time because there's always an interesting conversation on Twitter and, you know, um, of people looking for jobs. Like there lately, there have been a, a, a bunch of people looking for jobs or just talking about their code, like Steve Trotton Smith does or whatever. But then you go into the comments and you find someone that is also a developer and you can start following them. And it just kind of is this organic way of growth. And again, I'm not like a poster child for this. Again, I have like 200 followers in, in 10 years. It's not a good metric, but Everyone that I follow is, I think, I I know to a certain extent, and I feel like most of them, if I were to put out an app, would be able to, or be willing to, you know, retweet it or favorite it or send it to someone, at least I'd hope. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. not, 
that's maybe a little bit um, optimistic, but I feel like if I had some product or whatever I was trying to get out there, I feel like it would go fairly well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, and in a very similar vein to kind of like marketing yourself to market your app, um, you like the best way that apps kind of reach a presence is by word of mouth, right? You want mm. your app to um, be something that people can tell others about. You want the name to be easy to remember so that way they can search for it uh, a little bit later. Um, so think about that as much as possible on how your app can kind of grow organically amongst strangers ultimately, right? Um, if I find a cool app that's doing something, I'm going to tell Spencer about it uh, if I think yeah. it can help him. Um, and users of your app are going to do the same thing, right? Um, so really think about that when you're building your app. Like, don't wait till your app is built and then think about that. Like, if you want your app to succeed as a business and to hopefully make you money, you really need that app to be self-sustaining in some way where it's going to continue to grab um, users in a way that those users can share it with their friends and it to grow little by little um, that way. Um, the greatest example of this in the past week has been Wordle. Wordle is not an app. It's a little website uh, kind of thing. But if you've seen little green squares on Twitter, uh, right. you know exactly what that is now because it's kind of taken over very quickly. Um, and it's not because the app is like taking over very quickly. The app does one thing. It lets you play the game. And then at the end, there's a share button. And that share button will make you a little piece of text that you can just share on social media. Um, and the fact that that share button exists makes people want to share like how they did on that day's Wordle because there's only one a day. It's not like something that you can um, you can uh, consume to to the point of like a burnout, right? Um, you can only do one a day, and then if you forget about the next day, that's that. But chances are you're going to want to play the next one because you're like anticipating it. Um, so there's a lot of pieces in that formula that work for the benefit of humanity like you can you can spin those dials in a very different direction and have someone completely hooked for completely different reasons but um do think about again respecting your customers because if your customers feel respected they're gonna help uh spread the word about your app um in a way that's going to help you right yeah i think along those lines and maybe it goes without saying is if you're going to be putting in all this work, eh, I don't want to, this sounds like super um, pretentious of me. So like, please don't take it this way. I don't know how to say it very well. Um, you know, if you're going to be going through all this work of making a great, uh, you know, making all of these connections and all that stuff um, and being genuine, I think another thing with that is making sure that the product that you have is as best as it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, is maybe the best way I can put it. Not saying you need a perfect app because there will never be a perfect app. And especially if you're only one person, there's only so much you can do. Um, but at the same time, like Dimitri said, uh, he uses uh, Steve Trotton Smith's broadcasts app and there's like PCalc and there's all of these great indie apps that um, are absolutely amazing. They're, you know, top quality. Uh, and it's because they you know, put their heart and soul into it type of thing. And if you're going to be making a product, I guess what I'm trying to say is make it good. Maybe you are in it for the money and that's totally cool. 
um, but still make a good product, I guess. You don't have to like maybe pour, pour your heart and soul into it if that's not <laughs> really your thing, I guess. I don't know. I would, but I, I wouldn't work on an app that I wouldn't want to work on, uh, mm-hmm. per, like as a personal app. But um, if you're, again, if you're just going to go through the work of doing all of this networking, connecting with people and, you know, using trying to use those connections to help drive uh, people to discover your app, make sure that the app is, is worth it. Otherwise, I'm not sure I would, you know, for a second time, shout out Dimitri's app if the first one sucked, for example. Yeah, you look at me like, I'll retweet it because I'm a close friend, but uh-huh. I'm probably not going to do it again because then it hurts my influence. Exactly. Uh, air quotes all yes. over the place with that word. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, I would say the biggest skill that you can nurture as a creator of anything is really learn to identify what is good and what is not. And that is something that is a lot more superfluous than you might think. Like you might be able to, you might think that, Hey, I know exactly like something that's good or something that's not. Um, one of my like favorite ways to determine that if this is actually the case is if you need to ask others, if, like something is the way you want it or not, then you don't have a f- good opinion of that thing from yeah, that point, fair. if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's completely valid to do market research and see if customers will like something like this or like that. Like that is sometimes all you have is sort of like how to plow forward in a new industry, for instance. But at the same time, a lot of things don't go that route and they come from very opinionated minds where it's like, no, I want it to be this way because I think this is better. Um, and if the thing that you think is better is actually better then it's going to do really well because you have a very constrained opinionated way of seeing it. Like you saw that, Hey, this is actually better for those reasons. If you create something and you're like, something's missing here, that's an indication that you didn't quite get it yet. Um, and it's something that can still be worked on and improved. Um, and as Spencer said, maybe that's not something that you kind of push as a product, but you push as a creation instead. Like there's nothing wrong with making something that's unfinished and putting it out there. And I mean, everyone has to start from somewhere. The first version of an app that I put out there that received like tons of downloads, um, was a pair of table called elements. And the first version of that kind of wasn't that great looking. Right. Um, at the very least, it stuck to kind of platform uh, norms um, at the time, but it wasn't doing it in the best way that it could. And over many, many years, I kind of got better at noticing, okay, this wasn't good for this reason, not for that reason, um, and iterating on that process uh, to the point where at this point, I feel very confident when I say, oh, this is good for these reasons and this is not good for those reasons. And there's a better solution to be found. It's not something that came immediately that I was just born with, right? It's something that I had to work <laughs> right. hard at. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't necessarily, um, I wasn't necessarily saying very early on, "Hey, everyone, look at this amazing thing. It's better than anything." When it yes. wasn't necessarily. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, there's a time and place to know to feel confident and. Uh, to know when you need to either ask for opinions or to improve or to learn how to identify. Like, that's a, probably a ton of information that's not going in any one direction that anyone would, like, be able to follow. But 
Um, it is definitely a skill hard earned to be able to identify what is good uh, and what is bad in terms of all sorts of things, design, uh, but also uh, business practices like you have to, or even communication and networking, right? You, not everyone is good at communicating and networking. And oftentimes when you're not, you look at someone who is and you just say like, well, if only I were extroverted, then that would be good. They worked at that <laughs> in some yeah, capacity, absolutely. you know? Um, it's not something that came on its own. Um, like I, up until I would say somewhat recently, was afraid of talking to people. Like I would just not want to do it because of like this or that reason and it's until you practice talking to people that it becomes easier or harder right um and you won't succeed all the time but uh you got to practice things and you got to know when you're good at something and not um and yes some people will think that they're very good at something when they're not and that's unfortunate uh (laughs) but the more you kind of practice the more that kind of opinion will change over time and you'll be able to tell when you're actually should be confident about something and when you should hold back a little bit um, and accept criticism or accept um, uh, recommendations for how to improve things. Um, And in either scenario, if someone has something to say about it, listen patiently. Like Mm -hmm. there's a reason someone's saying that they might not have, the solution even if they think they do but them telling you about something that's wrong with anything that you're doing like there's all sorts of reasons why uh they are doing that and there's probably a good one hidden somewhere at one level or another right yeah absolutely um you know just like anything it takes practice like you said i mean think back to the first time that you had to set up a table view it's Mm -hmm. probably super hard now you can do it in your sleep type of thing so yeah um, and the best part about uh, what we're in in uh, into as software developers is uh, it's you always can update your app. It's not like mm-hmm. you have a physical product that you messed up and now you've wasted people hundreds of thousand dollars. You're stuck with. <laughs> yeah, you just say, "Oh shoot! All right, let me you know push that up to App Store Connect and." pass through review, and there you go. You've got a solution, or you've you've made it better at least, mm-hmm. hopefully. So. Um, again, that's why I, I, I didn't want to sound pretentious, but when I m- said, you know, make it the best that it can be, maybe that's the best you can do for now. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe a, a couple months down the line, you get some feedback and you say, oh, well, now I can do better. And you can release that. And it's all this, uh, you know, continual process of doing the best you can. And I don't know, for me, it's it's being as genuine as you can with kind of your audience and not trying to cram stuff down their throats because like we've yeah. kind of talked about no one no one likes uh you know a, an annoying mail list or uh, people that only tweet about their app or whatever yeah definitely respect your audience because yeah. they they have the power to ignore you completely um and they are being very generous giving you their attention um like so i, I think a funny side effect of this is youtube videos if you've never uh, kind of noticed, YouTube videos are almost all 10 minutes. And that's like a very particular number. Like, why are is every video 10 minutes? Um, and you start to realize that the whole way a YouTuber can make a living being a YouTuber is if their videos are 10 minutes. So if they have three sentences to share with you, they're going to pad that 
to the point where it's going to like take up 10 minutes and that's that's the reality of it and it's kind yeah. of unfortunate um and like not everyone is a sheeple and they will start to notice that and anyone who has been making 10 like videos that are only 10 minutes but don't share anything i don't i don't watch yeah like i i have i have very quickly learned how to filter that um and not notice it anymore because it is not beneficial to me to spend 10 minutes to get three sentences of information however videos that are 40 minutes talking about laundry detergent um i will watch the hell out of because that is cram (laughs) full of information like there's they try to get it down to 40 minutes if that makes Uh any sense uh, and I feel very respected by that. And I will consume all of their videos over the course of two months, uh, back five years. Um, so again, respect the people that are, that are giving you their attention because they are choosing to give you that, that attention. And yeah, I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's super true. Um, one, one YouTuber that, this is kind of a tangent, but one YouTuber that Dimitri got me onto is Ben Eater, where uh, he has a, uh, two or three videos on. Well, he uh, he does amazing things with, I mean, building a computer on a breadboard. But the one that I started watching uh, last weekend was building a graphics card on a breadboard. And it was amazing. And it was, you know, it was uh, 35, 40 minutes long, the first video. But uh he went into detail and like you said you know that he had to script this out and there was stuff that he had to cut to make it even like mm-hmm. less than two hours and he's but it not was... rushing to deliver the information either he's no. taking his time so that way you it's the so listener well done. can follow along with it because if he rushes then you're lost like yeah. it's, it's oh, so gosh, detailed yeah. that it's it's very important that he delivers in the way that he does so yeah yeah highly Super recommend cool. that I mean, channel like, yeah, I mean, he goes like his um, building a computer thing goes into clock cycles and he uses, you know, this module that has a piece of quartz that resonates at a certain frequency to give him an exact clock. And I was like, this is amazing. Computers on their own are amazing. You know, I mean, he's making transistors that are huge, but effectively it's the same thing that you have in your computer, just mm-hmm. shrunken or, you know, blown up many, 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 many times. Yeah. So really cool. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, kind and the one there, but super cool. The one on it wasn't laundry detergent; it was um, dishwasher detergent. Uh, that I like fell into that rabbit hole of a channel it's called Technology Connections, um, and that is absolutely great. And it, it turns out I remember particular videos I watched like ages ago on like toasters, um, and the fact that that nugget of information stayed in my mind as a testament to even though I didn't follow that, like I watched one video many years ago. Like, I remember that to this day, in a way. Mm -hmm. And it stuck with me because it was legitimately interesting. Um, And that's the product that that person, I don't know his name, unfortunately, um, is, like, building. They are building interesting videos. And it's not YouTube that's making them money, probably. It's their Patreon because they have a very long list of people that are very supportive of the work they're doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's that community again. The whole mm-hmm. thing is just, you know, building an audience of like, maybe not like-minded people, mm-hmm. that, but people that share your interests. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then I, I guess the very last thing you can do to market your app, which we didn't even mention up until now, is advertising. Uh, right. Advertising can either work or fail spectacularly. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've advertised like some apps in other apps. Uh, but there's an interesting problem with that. If someone is using a free-to-download app and they're okay with advertising, they're probably not okay with paying for apps. <laughs> if that, that, that vicious cycle kind of exists. Yeah. Um, however, if you have an app that is free to download and then has advertising, you can totally advertise that on other apps that are free to download that have advertising because people might be interested in downloading that, right? Um, so it's it's a very fine line and very hard to kind of get well. Um, I've seen uh, advertising that has done nothing, and I've seen advertising that kind of worked. Uh, one example of advertising that has worked um, is advertising this podcast on Overcast, for instance. Um, turns out having a, a place for an ad that is directly connected to people listening to podcasts works very well for podcasts um, and helps <laughs> who'd uh, have grow. Yeah, who'd have thought? And again, you're not forcing anything on anyone. They can choose to ignore you or they can think that it's interesting and therefore uh, give it a try. And if you did, hello, welcome. Have you enjoyed the show so far? Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like advertising has just not worked. So that's why I hesitate to even mention it as like something you should do as a, an individual that is trying to get people to know about your app. Yes, you can advertise on Facebook. You can advertise on Google. You can advertise all over the place. Um, but it's not necessarily always going to work out for you. And it's worth trying if you have the financial means to do so um but don't use that as your primary uh method of gaining uh, a new audience because it's not right. always going to work yep 100 percent agree i think growing it in a more organic way though perhaps slower like we talked about is probably ultimately going to be a more stable um way of, of gaining revenue if you know if you're going for for revenue or just users either way um i don't know advertising is weird and again that's that's so not my thing that i've not even really tried to look into it much at all so mm-hmm. um but i know for me ads don't really work too often so unless it's you know a good product like there have been some um some of the sponsors on here and also some of the like the indie app spotlights that have been awesome and i've i've ended up downloading them right so Mm -hmm. sometimes it works but just kind of uh i guess shotgun blasting it out to like the world on facebook or whatever may work i mean i don't really know how targeted their their stuff can get probably actually pretty targeted with facebook that's maybe not a great example but i don't know it is it is what it is i would say any automated system is probably going to fail spectacularly if you can find an audience that you want to sponsor in some way uh, and talk directly to that audience, it's going to work out a lot better because that audience will like be able to connect with it uh, to a certain extent. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely the hardest of all of these, yeah. but it is absolutely necessary. Like Apple would not be who they are today if they didn't spend a lot of money on advertising. Um, and part of that comes from them repeatedly advertising. You can't advertise once. Uh, and hope for that to work. You need to have uh, something where you are constantly reminding someone in the back of their head that you exist. Um, and notice, this is not people that are explicitly following you. This is an audience that has no idea who you are. 
Um, right. So it's a very different like attack vector in a way uh, that you need to prepare for um, and be able to implement well. And I'm not, I can't say I'm an expert of it. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, and at the same time, I don't want to do it in a way that's going to disrespect my future users either. Um, so it's, it's always a very fine line. So on that fine note, this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. Uh, it's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you'd like or put them all in a smart stack. Sticky widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. Sticky Widgets is free to download on the App Store, and additional font and color options are available for one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. And on a completely different note, if you make apps and you want us to talk about it, you can just let us know. We have a segment we call Indie App Spotlight, where we are happy to kind of promote indie developers, because who else is going to help you, right? Um... The, the we have to we have to help support each other um and that's also one of the reasons why we started this podcast because if we ever yeah. want to make something uh we are slowly building up hopefully something that can help us like share what we've made right um because if you just act in isolation then you will be isolated <laughs> forever uh in that regard so if you need help promoting an app we will happily share it with our audience i'm not going to share like super spammy things i've seen super spammy things and i just ignore them because not an indie developer that's trying to respect their audience and that's therefore not respecting our audience but if you do make something that uh seems neat um and there might be someone from that listens to us that might be interested in it i'm happy to share it similarly if you want to sponsor the show and get a more direct uh, kind of uh, presence in what we're talking about, then like that is totally fine as well. But uh, we are more than happy to promote indie developers uh, completely for free. So again, just reach out and we are happy to kind of take that conversation forward. Now, uh, that leads into our uh, mini review corner where we talk about more stuff. Uh, And uh, I'll start it off with a little... Uh, story. So over the holidays, um, I went over to my parents' house for uh, Christmas and, um, or was it New Year's? I don't know. It was one of them. Um, and I had with me my Switch and I had with me those uh, super nostalgic Nintendo 64 controllers that you can connect to the Switch via Bluetooth. Uh, and I had with me Mario Kart 64, which was something that we nice. all played um, when I was uh, a child, basically. Um, and everyone got frustrated over it because it's like, if you know how to drive a car, that's not going to help you with Mario Kart 64. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I got everything, uh, in my bag. I had a little dongle that I used to use for traveling. So I don't have to bring the whole dock and I try to hook it up to the TV and nothing was working. And I was, I was frankly like a little frustrated, uh, by that whole thing. Um, now I didn't want to test it too much because I am well aware that third-party dongles are not licensed by Nintendo and, and no such 
uh, device exists that is licensed by Nintendo. Uh, and they are very noteworthy in that they can brick systems. Um, mm-hmm. And almost every one of these products on Amazon has a sequence of one-star reviews where it has bricked their Nintendo Switch and made it impossible for them to charge it. And then it eventually died. Um, so that is no good. Um, so I didn't want to test it too far. And ultimately, we didn't get to to play Mario Kart on the TV like that. And we had to play in a little itty-bitty Switch screen. Um, and that was <laughs> still fun, but uh, more frustrating than anything, especially when you're playing four-player Mario Kart on an itty bitty screen yeah, like it was no made for, for like crts that were at least a little bigger um so uh that was a little uh a little bit of a bummer but uh as soon as i got home i wanted to do research into finding a better kind of a new dongle because my dongle obviously broke uh even though it was like working just fine for a few years ever since i had my switch basically um so I start looking on Amazon, and quickly I'm horrified by like all the one-star reviews. I don't want to like tempt that fate. Um, so I do research, and I come across a post on Reddit where someone goes into all the details as to why things are failing uh, and why systems are being bricked. Um, and one of the things they mention at the very end is the reason I know all this is because I've been trying to develop a system that's not going to brick your Switch. Uh, and it is called the Genki Convert Covert Dock. So that's the product that they were building, and they didn't want to brick switch systems, so they put the research into it, uh, and they put the effort into sharing that research with people, um, which is a great marketing like avenue because now I have more trust for your product than all the products that are on Amazon full of reviews. Like there's no like visible Absolutely. negative reviews for this, but. As a result, I trust them more because they went into the details as to why other products may be uh, breaking switches. Um, So what is this little thing? Well, it's a little uh, power charger, and I can open it up here. So it comes with a little manual, a fun little Nintendo-themed sticker, and a cable, which is important. I'll get to it. But ultimately, it's this little power charger. You now plug it into the wall. And on the other end, you have a USB. I think it's upside down. Uh, you have a USB-C for your Switch. You have a USB dongle for anything that your Switch might need to connect to, network, wired controller, yada, yada. And then you have a HDMI out, which is from the DisplayPort signal that's coming from your Switch. Now, this is a gallium nitride charger so it's like really tiny and still supplies 30 watts or whatever it needs to um and it does the display port decoupling um and i trust it because they went into the details and i'm not a dummy and they put in a little bit more effort than like oh trust us this won't break no they went Uh into oh so the reason why it's breaking is because a lot of these uh power supply or a lot of these adapters don't implement power delivery correctly and when the switch asks for six volts it gives them 15 volts and that's no good over a long period of time uh kind of thing so uh this is a particular chip that's frying it's because it's getting too much voltage if you look at these graphs on an oscilloscope yada 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 so i was very convinced by that amount of research that went into it and therefore i was more willing to trust them than anyone else um and this is the the results of this, some big YouTubers have uh, kind of tried it and uh, done reviews uh, about it. So I, I did do a little bit more research, of course. 
The only downside seems to be that it doesn't treat color in the exact same way as uh, the original Switch dock, which does not matter if you're traveling on someone's CV that's not calibrated anyway, so uh, I am not super bothered by that. But yeah, um, that's what it is. It's a really tiny uh, little thing. Neat thing about this is it's not like you don't have to bring a power adapter as well as your uh, little yeah. dongle. You can just kind of bring this. It has the power adapter in it. You just need to figure out an HDMI cable, which you can generally unplug from something else, um, and bring the uh, supplied uh, USB-C cable, which you do hmm. need. You need a USB-C 3.1 uh, cable that will be able to supply. There's all very importantly a resistor in the cable which uh helps the switch not consume too much power when it doesn't need to um but also it can supply the video data uh back out at the same time so that's that's one of the necessary components but um other than that guess what since it uses the proper power delivery standards it will also work with your computer and your ipad uh and your android phone I don't know if iPhones, well, no, iPhones are not USB-C, so that won't work. Uh, but all those other devices, like, you can get HDMI 4K out of your iPad with this, um, which That's is super, super cool. cool. Nice. Um, real quick, I want to hijack this for a bonus round of <laughs> of the mini review corner. Awesome. I have not really a similar product, but I also remember when I bought my first bought my Switch that, you know, docks were coming out and all that and, and breaking switches. And so... Um, I, I also wanted a portable kind of replacement for, for the dock. The dock is just huge. And so uh, what I came up with was they'll sell these little cases on Amazon where you can take apart the original dock mm-hmm. and because the PCB is about this big. And so what Super I have tiny. is this, which is the original PCB with just a little uh, ribbon cable to a new uh, USB-C uh, port but going into the original dock much much smaller and a lot more portable um so that's what i use myself and basically but licensed by nintendo unless you it, yeah, really screwed something up putting yeah, in a piece of exact plastic same and board. screwing a, uh it's just a screw that's holding it shut i'm assuming right yeah yeah absolutely um and it, i think it was less than ten dollars or something mm-hmm. on amazon so uh, and what i did was i did i it, it was pretty new into like the switch you know 2017 or something when i did this and i wasn't 100 percent sure i didn't want to break my dock but i found a um a used dock on my local classifieds for like 20 dollars or something which is a steal i think nintendo was selling it for like 70 or something 80 dollars still is still unavailable (laughs) yeah okay there we go so i found it for like 20 25 dollars um and it was just like in this dude's trunk and i was like okay cool and I took apart that one. It works fine. So now I have two. I have the original and I have this one. But this is the one I use because it's just super small. So um, I didn't mean to totally no. hijack that. But it's I. what I like about yours is it's just, you know, plugs right into the wall and all you need are two cables. That's super nice. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that that's one of the downsides of, like, your method. One, you have to be able to get an official dock, which are not available yeah. anywhere. On Amazon, yeah. they're, like, guilt-tripping you with a $140 purchase. Uh, and then the <laughs> Nintendo Store, um, which, funnily enough, the local CDN just, like, does not work with my address. So I cannot access oh. store.nintendo.com from my home address. I have to go into cellular so I get a different CDN. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very cryptic errors as well until I, like, looked up what the error meant. It's like, uh, cloud guru meditation. I'm like... 
what on earth is this? Um, <laughs> this is not Nintendo. Uh, but it turns out it's like some Cloudflare uh, CDN um, hmm. like Edge server that's just dead that no one knows about. It's been dead for months. Uh, but that's the one that my my DNS connects me to, so I'm out of luck uh, for store.nintendo.com unless I go on cellular and then I get a very different CDN. Um, but needless to say, um, I I was going to go your route because I was like, I don't want to trust any of these guys. Um, yeah. And I just couldn't find a dock. So uh, that's that's where I found this. And the benefit is you don't have to carry around an extra charger. Um, yeah. which is always like I was going to, I always generally used an Apple charger, like either a laptop one or an iPad one, which like generally is going to work fine because it implements power delivery correctly. But those little dongles, they don't implement power delivery correctly. So even if your uh, charger says, oh, we can supply these voltages and stuff to the switch to so pick one. Um, yeah. the little dongles like, oh, just pick the second one. And the second one is a way too high powered or whatever and that's generally what brick systems um so thankfully mine my chargers have never uh done the damage yet um but it's always been like very uh very scary trying and Mm -hmm. i'm very happy to support people that do the research and put in the work to share that research uh, because they don't have to share it's basically letting everyone else know how to do it properly right um yeah but because they put that effort in like it's a very poisoned market, to say the least. Um, so they have yeah. to put that effort in if they want to gain new customers. So, yeah. Nice. Well, it's very fitting that you talked about Mario Kart 64 as this is our 64th episode. Oh. Very fitting indeed. <laughs> the Nintendo 64 emulator on Switch sucks. Um, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. <laughs> Anyways, as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with all your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. Uh, it's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we want to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniel, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. So yeah, Nintendo 64 emulator and Switch sucks. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know, like, why. It seems like it's not just for some games. It's like for all games, and it's just it sucks, mediocre. dude. It, I know it's such a bummer too because they're open source emulators that run things fine, mm-hmm. and, and it's it, a, yeah. especially a bummer when Nintendo has like emulators for their games that run perfectly well. I'm looking at the the GameCube uh, release of Ocarina of Time, for instance. Like right, yeah. After I got rid of my Nintendo 64 and all I had was a GameCube, I loved that version because that's the only version I had, and that version works great. Um, yeah. It's like one of the best emulators. And then every every year since then, it gets worse and worse, it seems, with the Wii and then the Wii U one and now the Nintendo Switch one. Um, so, come on, Nintendo. People are paying monthly for this. I know, and that's the worst part, too. Mm-hmm. It's like... They're so, yeah, they're so greedy, dude. It, I don't know. They're so gnarly about 
I don't know, streaming content and just using any IP at all. And then they don't put in the work to, you know, make it easy for people to get those games or anything. And mm-hmm. then that's why they're so anal about uh, piracy because people have to do it to play those games. It's like, dude, I've, you know, even if you've got the cartridge chilling in, you know, in your closet or whatever, there's like no way for you to, to play the game if you don't have the original console. Mm-hmm. Except if you get a, so I think a, a company called Analog makes this. What was their mm, Game yeah. Boy uh, remake? The Pocket. The, the Analog Pocket, right? Um, yeah. So for, if you don't know, this is a, uh, a Game Boy remake. So it's, it's an FPGA internally that just simulates uh, the Game Boy's CPUs, um, CPU and auxiliary chips. Um, and when I say like simulates it, rebuilds the same circuitry that the Game Boy had because it's been long enough and it's not that fancy of a chip that we know exactly how it works. So um, yeah. they were able to put in that work and make a brand new device that um, is modern in every way. Like you don't need to put double A's in it, I don't think. Um, and yeah. uh, it's, it's got capable. like an OLED screen. Yeah. yeah, you you put a cartridge in it and it will play that game as if it were connected to an original Game Boy. Um, so, thank goodness people are making products like these because that is what kind of preserves all this older like culture in a way. Um, yeah, especially since it's... copyright law is completely broken and none of those games will enter into public domain anytime soon. Uh, so right. you have to play them on cartridge if you want to play them legitimately. Um, and this is a way of doing that. So that I think is quite cool. I don't know how they do it. I, I haven't really looked into like the legality of that, but like, it's crazy to me that Nintendo is letting like being okay with them building an FPGA that, you know, runs the games directly. If you know the console itself, I don't know. It's the same reason guess... that they can't do anything about the Ocarina of Time like uh what's that that project called the decompilation project so basically they are writing brand new source from scratch like that's Uh, how it works and it so happens that if you take all the assets from a legitimate rom um and include the compiled code you get an exact replica of the cartridge that's crazy that like they are not providing a rom they're providing source code and they're not providing the assets, so they mm. own the copyright to their source code. And it just so happens that it's generating the same, like, results. Output, right? yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And, and Nintendo can't legally do anything about that, unfortunately, uh, for them. Um, but yeah. it's not like it's a minor amount of effort. It is not, by any means, a minor amount of effort. Uh, so they yeah. completely deserve, like, the ability to continue doing that from... Oh, um, from like any law, I I honestly believe. Yeah, I, I agree. I am. I mean, I am also a proponent that copyright law has like way overstayed its welcome. Like it started off as being something completely reasonable, um, and it has quickly become something that benefits corporations and not individual yeah. people that are inventing things. Uh, for instance, Winnie the Pooh has very recently, like as of a few days ago, entered the public yep. domain. But Winnie the Pooh with a red shirt, mm-mm, that's owned by Disney. Uh, that one is never going to enter the public domain for the foreseeable future. Um, but the Winnie the Pooh without the red shirt, totally A-OK, uh, which I find hilarious. So people are making jokes about that specifically. Um, and I honestly believe that Disney 
deserves uh, to be dragged through the dirt for kind of making copyright law as it is worse because it's it's basically Disney that caused this problem. Uh, I was just going to say Disney are the you know the biggest component of mm-hmm. yeah yeah and music or labels and all that like giant yeah. corporations yeah, yeah, yeah. are the ones that our copyright laws can play broken. I'd be totally a okay if Elements entered the public domain because I have not done anything with it for many years. Like uh, it's just if it had to enter the public domain, then I'd be like okay, fine. Like I can't do anything about that. If I was mm-hmm. continuing making like money off of it, then yeah, give me 10, 15 years to like own that. But then if someone wanted to just steal that idea after that point, like I had my chance. Um, that's, that's honestly my opinion. Um, yeah, that's fair. It's a little backwards, but uh, I think that, yeah, one day, one day maybe it'll be fixed or we, it'll be worse and no one will be, be none the wiser, right? Yep. 